Hello, you're listening to When in Spain. I'm your host, Paul Burge. Thank you for joining me. Uh, well, actually, this is a very special episode. It's When in Spain's first birthday. Yep, yeah, When in Spain is one year old. A year ago, uh, on the 17th of June, is when I uploaded the first three episodes of When in Spain. And, well, here we are, still going one year on. Um, I was having a look back, and in a year, I've produced... 39 episodes with 22 different guests who've kindly taken part in the show. Uh, the podcast has attracted listeners uh, now in 101 different countries around the world. Tens of thousands of you have downloaded the episodes and we now have more than 700 members of the When in Spain Facebook group as well. And we also have 14 patrons very kindly helping to support the show by making donations via Patreon. I'll talk a bit more about that in a second. So cheers listeners, here's to one year of When in Spain and well uh, let's raise a glass also to uh, another year of When in Spain coming up in the future. I'd love you to let me know which has been uh, your favourite episode and why. So feel free to leave a message in the Facebook group uh, if you like, telling me which episode out of the 39 episodes you've enjoyed the most and the reason why you enjoyed it. Anyway, coming up in this episode, Tapas. Yes, we're going to be talking Tapas with Margit Sperling uh, from Walk and Eat Spain. She runs her own food walking tours in Madrid with a focus on the Malasaña Barrio, where she lives. So in this episode, we stopped off in a couple of her favourite tapas stops to sample cheese, wine and a couple of cañas. And along the way, we talk tapas, how and what to order, our personal favourites. And we offer a few tips for those of you who are tapeando for the very first time. Margaret also talks about her love of Spanish food and how it all started, and also what what you can expect on one of her neighbourhood food tours. But before that, I'd like to give a quick shout out to another new When in Spain patron, Kevin Connell. Uh, a big, big gracias to you. Uh, thank you for helping to support the show by pledging a donation. So thanks to you, Kevin. And don't forget, for anyone else, any of you who are When in Spain listeners, and if you enjoy the When in Spain show, please consider making a small, tiny donation uh, via the crowdfunding website called Patreon. And you can uh, do that at patreon.com forward slash when in Spain. It's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash when in Spain, patreon.com forward slash when in Spain. Uh, anything you uh, donate helps. Every little helps. So if you think the show is worth something to you, if you enjoy it, uh, even if it is just $1 or $2 or whatever it is, uh, it all adds up. It all helps me cover the cost of producing and publishing the show, uh, which does actually cost money, and also to cover, uh, indeed, my time as well. So if you think it's worth a few dollars, I will be super grateful uh, for anyone who could make a small pledge uh, on the crowdfunding website Patreon. And if you think when in Spain is worth nada, then obviously you're not obliged to support the show. 
So anyway, let's get on to the part of show that you're actually here for. Um, Margit and Tapas. So Margit came to Madrid on vacation back in 2007 and, well, never went back home and never looked back. Uh, after many years of showing her friends and family uh, the best places to eat around Madrid, her adopted city, and indeed other parts of Spain, she decided to make it her career. And now she offers neighbourhood food tours in Madrid. So let's get into Talking Tapas with Margit. Margit, thank you for joining the When in Spain podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Today we're talking about tapas and you run tours, introducing the world of tapas to people visiting Spain and you run tours called Walk and Eat Spain. That's true. Um, I have been doing food tours for about five years here in Madrid and um, I've decided to do a new series of food tours which are in my neighborhood. Um, I live in Malasaña in the Condeduque part of Malasaña because here in Madrid we have like neighborhoods and then micro neighborhoods. So we're now actually in one of my favorite places, uh, stopping one of my tours um, that's in the Conde Duque part of Marasaña. Really, you know, for me, eating in Spain is such an incredible experience. But if you don't know where to go and like how to get the food and even when to get the food, a lot of times you just don't get great stuff. And so what I've really would have heard over the years is people just telling me like the best stuff we've had in Spain is with you, you know, which is I, if people don't say that to me now, then my feelings are hurt. Um, but <laughs> the idea is that, you know, it's a lot easier to get great food in Spain. If someone sort of tells you, go here at this time and get this. And so that's what I do. How long have you been running the tours for? And and what's your story? How did you come to be in Madrid? You've been here a long time, right? I have. Um, I've been in Madrid since 2007, so about 12 years now. And um, it's like, I wish it was a better story. You know, I came on vacation and I was like, oh man, why would I live anywhere else? And here I am. Um, And I've just done all kinds of stuff over the years. But the kind of thing that's tied everything together is that sort of connecting my love of Spain with people who come to visit Spain. And I think that that's, for me, one of the really special parts of being here is that I get to kind of have a foot in both on both places. And food. And food. Well, there's a lot of really delicious food and wine and beer (laughs) and beaches and mountains. And old villages. I mean, there's a lot. Spain has a lot to offer. Um, And then with the food tours, um, I started Walk and Eat Spain um, about a month and a half ago. So it's just getting off the ground. Yeah, so it's been really exciting. You know, I decided 2019, um, I wanted to start my own business. People are booking tours, I've gotten great feedback, and it's also really fun to showcase, since it's my neighborhood, to showcase the bars and restaurants that I love and um, get people to see sort of, you know, what we do here in Madrid and how we do it and introduce people to all of these incredible people who are looking for great wines out there, making their own beers um, and serving both really traditional tapas you know like great grandmother's recipe for meatballs and then folks who are really innovating and so you you have everything in that in this neighborhood and so it's really it's cool to get to share that because the tapas and the food and the wine and the beer scene in Spain is really evolving in the last five or ten years. I think one of the things that's really amazing about Madrid is that you have the old and the new. And Madrid has been about the old and the new. I mean, Madrid's been the capital of Spain since the middle of the 16th century. And it's been at the vanguard of change in Spain since kind of its inception as the capital, that when stuff is going to happen, it's going to happen here in Madrid. 
And so this new kind of wave of tapas is kind of just the next step. You know, Madrid has always, you know, it's kind of struggled with being kind of the boring business capital, but it's also been one of the, you know, big financial pushes of the country. And so stuff happens here. Um, and so it's cool to see what's going on. And that's, you know, what's going on is that you have the totally traditional local, as we call here in Spain, the old man bar. And then you have fancy new bars and then you have international cuisine. And then you have people who are taking, you know, their grandmother's croqueta recipes, the little, um, the little Spanish fritters and, you know, reimagining them as foam, you know, like we, everyone kind of looks to the Adria brothers and says like, those guys kind of got everything, you know, got Spain on the map and, and kind of how we can do that both in the small neighborhood level and at the big Michelin star level. So it's really, it's an amazing time to be here in Spain and in Madrid. Where did the, the love of Spanish food come from? And Because you worked in a Spanish restaurant, am I right in saying from, from my research? Yes. I always tell people that my connection with Spain sort of happened in two waves. When I was a little girl, my family lived in Los Angeles, and I've always been food obsessed. And when I was a little girl, that food obsession was geared towards Mexican food. You know, I lived in Los Angeles. My like New York Jewish grandparents came to LA in the 50s and decided that like Mexico was the future. And so all family celebrate, like all of our Jewish family celebrations would be celebrated in a Mexican restaurant where all of the wait staff spoke Spanish. And there was a woman who was making the, the Mexican tortillas on a comal, which is the traditional grill where you cook the, the tortillas. And I've always been like a huge talker. So my family would basically like exile me, be like, go talk to that nice lady making the tortillas. <laughs> and I loved them so much that like my little brain was like, if you could learn to speak Spanish, that lady would give you more food. And so from the time I was like six or seven, I was like, I got to speak Spanish so I can get more food, which is totally true. Like of all the life lessons I've learned, that's yes. If you speak Spanish, you will get more food. Um, and then when I was in high school, I, of course, wanted to study Spanish. And my Spanish teacher, my first year of high school, was obsessed with Spain. And I saw the 80s classic, um, Mujeres al Borde de un Ataque de Nervios, oh, yes, the Women yes, on the Forge of Nervous Breakdown, and I'm the classic. And I was like, those are my people. Like, that's, that's it. So when I was in college, I came to study abroad. And, you know, I was like a very picky American. Like, I thought that I loved food, but I didn't really know what that meant. <laughs> was Madrid your first experience of Spain? No, I studied abroad in Granada in college. And then a good friend of mine actually married a guy who she met from Granada and they were living here in Madrid in 2007. And I came to visit them and I was like, boring nonprofit job in DC or come and live in Madrid and you know, live the good life. And so and Madrid it was, it had to be Madrid. It had to be Madrid, it had to be Madrid. But the other great thing about Madrid is it's a real melting pot of cuisine from all four corners of Spain as well. You can find anything in Madrid easily, right? Yeah, no, and that's, I mean, I think that's one of the most interesting parts about Spanish cuisine is that people really have this expectation that it's going to be paella and sangria, which is true. I mean, there is delicious paella and sangria is great, you know, for what it is. And But there's so much more. And you have the incredible meat uh, dishes from the north of Spain and you have the fried fish from the south. You have the big, heavy stews from the mountain regions. You have all these incredible ingredients. Right? And I think we oftentimes forget that Spain is one of the primary bread baskets of Europe. And so you have, in addition to a massive coastline with just spectacular seafood you have the beans you have the grains you have the fruits the vegetables um, from north and from south so you know we've got the incredible artichokes and asparagus from Navarra in the north and then you know all of the hothouse tomatoes cucumbers um, eggplants from down south and so you have 
natural ingredients that are amazing and then you have this incredible history of spain with influence from you know the romans the moors the jews all four corners and then now all the folks who have come from central and south america coming from asia and so you have you have an incredible tradition of people bringing their flavors and even you know the new world you know the foods from the again the new world's very very loaded thing to say, but mm-hmm. when the Spanish got to the Americas, potatoes, tomatoes, corn, beans, all of that stuff came through Spain first before it got to the rest of the rest of Europe. And so that those ingredients are now quintessential to Spain. I mean, imagine Spain without a tomato, and you can't. Um, and that that's just from you know the cultural exchange that's happened over Spain's history. Incredibly diverse food culture. I think a lot more than people realize. Actually, when they think of Spain, they might think of chorizo and tortilla, but it's a has a much much uh, more diverse and richer food culture than just that. give the listeners a bit of a flavor of where we've come to now you said this is a, a, a bar that you've been coming to for many many years yes. now we're in a, a bar called la carbonera so we're in la carbonera and it is run by marcelo marcelo is here with us and he is a sort of cheese obsessed wine fanatic who just brings incredible product to the neighborhood and just a real attention to quality and detail. The most important thing is that this is a bar that specializes in wine and cheese. That's right. That's your passion is, is cheese. Yes, totally, totally. Mm-hmm. From four years, we are already open and we started with a little menu of cheese. Now we got more or less 20, 25, depending. And so, well, we're going to order some, yeah. some cheese I mean, and, and a glass of wine, I think, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> What do you recommend? I suppose most people, when they think of Spanish cheese, automatically think of manchego, which I absolutely adore. But there's a lot more to Spanish cheese than just manchego, obviously. It's a big world. It's a big world of cheeses. And it's a big world of cheese and it's a big world of wine. I think people are expecting Rioja and Manchego, which, don't get me wrong, Rioja and Manchego are delicious. But there's a lot going on. So my question, Marcelo, is it is a very warm June evening. So what should we, a little glass of wine, a little piece of cheese, what should we have? A white wine, I think, yeah. and goat cheese, for example. Oh, yeah. What do you think? Goat cheese and white wine? That's like my dream combo. Perfect. Goat cheese and white wine, sounds good to me. Yeah. Um, uh, yes. <laughs> heaven, heaven, yeah. heaven, basically. Goat's <laughs> cheese and white wine like, on arm. a balmy June evening. <laughs> it doesn't really get better, like it says on your sign outside. Pone pan calentito, queso, vino. What more could you ask for? Yeah, yeah, cheese, wine, warm bread, and love. It's like all the food groups and everything that the humans need. They also make their own bread here, so it's really, there's a lot going on. Oh, is this a tacoli? Okay, so this is um, Chacoli. It's from the Basque Country. Basque Country is the north coast of Spain. Yeah. It's about like a four and a half hour drive from here in Madrid, and it's become very famous, uh, the Basque Country, for the food paradise of San Sebastián. Um, but Chacoli is a beautiful white wine. And the story of Chacoli is it's like the. Es un poquito ácido, y luego tiene un poquito también de chardonnay. Oh, cool. Y tiene un poquito de, de madera. So it's got a little bit of um, Chardonnay grapes, and then it has um, a little bit of a barrel age. So you get all that nice acidity, the woodiness, and it's got just a ton of flavor. But it's I love it because it's just like a fresh and wonderful treat, especially in this kind of weather. And when you're in the Basque Country, Chacoli is just what you drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you say Pinot Blanco, white wine in the Basque Country, Chacoli. The default wine yeah. is going to be Chacoli. Yeah. <laughs> and it's beautiful. The way that it's poured and just the color is so lovely. I love honey. Yeah. It's got those nice little bubbles. Oh, beautiful. Sí, tiene un poquito de burbujita. Sí. sí. It's wonderful. 
I love this wine. Mm. All right. Well, yes. fantastic. Muchisimaira. Gracias. Okay. Salud. Taste that. Put your nose in there. You got all that nice, like, it's got a little citrus. That is so good. It's got a kind of texture to it with the bubbles, but it's not what I would call sparkling. Exactly. It's a tragedy that you can't see what this cheese looks it really like. Is. It's really, Marcelo. Can you describe it, Margaret? I can. It's just everything he does is so beautiful. So we have like a beautiful little slate plate, and then we have the lovely chunks of the kind of bone white uh, goat cheese, and then he's got some um, sunflower seeds, little microgreens, a cherry, some flowers, because flowers i guess um it's absolutely beautiful it's beautiful presented on a black slate little black slate and it's like a little little piece of art yeah, it's like a little piece of cheese art isn't it and so what is this este queso se llama espadán espadán leche cruda de cabra de la sierra de espadán en castellón so this is a beautiful raw milk goat's cheese now raw milk is important um for the spanish cheeses because if it's not pasteurized they don't bring it up to temperature so high so it maintains a lot of the original flavor and you get that sense of not only what the animal ate but kind of the land that it lived on because all of those flavors stay in the milk so it's a bit like a sort of terroir Exactly. of the cheese exactly so that when it's an unpasteurized you get so much more flavor because they don't bring the temperature up and kill a lot of what makes cheese have that kind of magic cuando es leche cruda el queso evoluciona no es lo mismo el queso al mes que a los tres meses con la leche pasteurizada siempre cuesta más esa evolución cuesta mucho más porque las bacterias no están activadas básicamente that's a fascinating point that Marcelo was just making is that he said that when the milk is not pasteurized, the bacteria remains, the good bacteria. And so what that means is that the cheese is allowed to age and the flavor changes. So the cheese at one month has a really different flavor than the cheese at four or six months because those flavors allow it to really evolve. And when the milk is pasteurized, you don't get that same kind of evolution of flavor. And so it really gives it, it gives it something special. And so this cheese is from the mountains in Castellón, which is on the Eastern coast of Spain. So Marcelo really knows what I like. We met um, because I would come in here all the time and be like, Marcelo, Give me a fun cheese. And he was like, that is not a cheese descriptor. I was like, you know, for me, fun cheese is. And I would come in and he'd be like, oh, man, you're the girl who wants the fun cheese. I was like, I'm going to need some more adjectives. And he mentioned that it might be a little intense for me because I do like things on the kind of medium scale. But we'll see. I'm really excited to try it. With some of this delicious homemade bread. I'm the opposite. The bigger the flavor, the better for me personally. That's very good. Really good. And this is an interesting one. Like the smell is actually more intense than the flavor. Like it's got like a real intense aroma. Mm -hmm. And then I'm really glad you guys can't see me. I'm totally talking with my mouth full. <laughs> Both so I'm, be I'm, I'm busy <laughs> che chewing away here. Like, oh yeah. No, it's really good. The flavor, it's got that like really good goat cheese tang. And like a lovely Exactly. It's soft got texture. a real tang to it. This is delicious. Lovely soft texture. But it's also. El mm -hmm. Exactly. The smell. It, Mm -hmm. The smell is very intense, very sort of animal, yeah, and you really get that that, mm -hmm. that coming through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. More than more than uh, your average goat's cheese yeah, that you like would a, normally like find. Like a president roll of, you know, those like logs of goat cheese. None of this. This is, you know, you get that sense of the farm. Yeah, that's not cheese. Thank you. Thank you, Marcelo. That is not cheese. Don't say the wrong thing here. President cheese, no. No cheese for you. That's what this guy says. He's like, we're done. Don't come here and ask for president. Mm -hmm. okay. No, no, not at all. <laughs> or you'll be literally kicked out. So we've got a really good selection of cheeses here. The Spanish cheeses we've got here, we've got Manchego, of course, which aged. is yeah, extra aged Manchego. Mm -hmm. And he does some really interesting things. Marcelo was just on a trip to the Canary Islands. 
and he got some really interesting goat's cheeses from the Canary Islands that are just like intense and they have you know because it's so volcanic that you can almost taste that in the cheese that it's got that like kind of ashy pungency and then he's got some beautiful cheeses from Catalonia everyone thinks Catalonia Barcelona but Catalonia also has incredible agriculture and so you have um, my favorite cheese from Catalonia it's called Garrocha um, and Garrocha is from the area it's a national park and it's called Garrocha and it's a beautiful again a goat's cheese and it's got that you know like real white interior and then um, it's aged with ash on the rind so it's a beautiful like color contrast um, and then we've had some really interesting the last time I did a tour on Friday here he gave us a really beautiful cheese plate and there was um, a really lovely uh, cow's milk cheese from the north of Spain that was kind of like a medium age so you get kind of like a nice it's nice and creamy but it's got a big bit of tang mm-hmm. and then some beautiful um, sheep's milk cheeses from here in, in central Spain so Manchego when we talk about queso Manchego Manchego comes from La Mancha which is the central part of Spain and it's a region that's favourite cheese for you favourite Spanish cheese for you Oh my god! Difficult question, especially if you're like uh, a huge cheese lover. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I could answer that well. Okay, I'm gonna say um, the Garrocha, that um, goat's milk cheese from Catalonia, and then I think that my favorite, my favorite in general cheese is um, Iriazabal, which is a smoked cheese from the Basque country, ah, okay. and it's a great cheese. It's delicious. It's got that wonderful, um, you know, the raw goat. Uh, excuse me, raw sheep's milk. But then um, there's an Iriazalba that's smoked and then one that isn't smoked. I love the smoked one. And the legend of the smoked one is that um, there's a legend legend that the shepherds um, would make the cheeses from being out with the sheep and they would milk the sheep and then they would make the cheeses and they would store the wheels in the rafters of their little huts. And because they would heat the huts with fire... Um, the smoke would rise up into the rafters and would naturally smoke the cheeses. Amazing. And so, I mean, I don't know if that's true. I, I like to imagine it is. I like to think that that's yeah. true, like accidentally smoking yeah. the cheese. And it's such a famous cheese in that part of Spain that they have like an annual festival where they judge like what's the best Iriazabal. And um, it's, it's a great cheese. Good choice. Yeah. Good what about choice. you? What's your favorite For me, cheese? my favorite cheese. Well, I'm not scared of big flavors. So like a Cabrales yeah. uh, for me, which is for okay. many people a bit, a bit too much. But Cabrales is another one of these cheeses where it's just like an incredible story. You know, it's from this like tiny... When we talk about Spanish cheeses, oftentimes we're talking about um, the regions where they're from. And so Cabrales is the name of the cheese, but it refers to the group of little villages in the Comarca, the little area where they're from in the Picos de Europa Mountains on the north coast of Spain. And it's this incredible cheese that's made with a mix of goat's sheep and cow's milk. And then it's a it's naturally molded. So it means that it's aged in these um, limestone caves. And so there's mold that naturally is occurring on the caves. And these cheeses are set on, you know, like wooden shelves so the air can circulate all around it. This wine is also fantastic. Cheers again. Yeah. yeah. Really good. For me, it's got, it's kind of kind of like an apple-y totally. taste to it. It's got green apple taste. It's got green apple crispness to it but mm. so good we're going to finish up our wine here at uh, la carbonera where we are just on the fringes of uh, we're going to head off to our next stop and in a minute we're going to talk a bit about how to order tapas tapas culture if your first if it's your first time in spain how to do that marcelo muchísimas gracias gracias a vosotros un placer matanderos all right nos vamos pronto vale see you soon
¿qué les ponemos? Bueno, eh, nos pones dos cañas, por favor. Perfecto, ahora mismo. Bodegas El Maño. It is a wonderful bar. It's been here for years. The owners have just changed and they kept it totally true to the original. It is a neighborhood spot. We just ran into some friends of mine and we're just finishing up um, their tapas. And. Gracias. Muchas gracias. And we have just ordered two cañas. Cañas, the typical measure of, of beer in Spain. Mm -hmm. Uh, small glass. Um, I think it was like 200 mils, something like that. Yeah, Whatever that is in metric. Son 200 mililitros la caña, ¿no? Sí, más o menos. So yeah, it's 200 milliliters. Muchísimas gracias. So he just gave us some olives to have with our cañas, and we'll tell you all about all of that. But first, before we do anything, um, Paul, let's have a little toast. Salud. Salud. What are we drinking? Okay, so we are drinking two cañas. So when he came up and said, what would you like? I just said, um, everyone expects, you know, cerveza. That is beer in Spanish. But here when we're in Spain, um, the beer on tap, when you order it, you say, una caña, por favor. You don't need to worry about burbs. Don't get stressed out. You just, big smile, una caña if you're two. Two cañas, dos cañas, por favor, big smile, and people will be like, oh my God, your Spanish is amazing. Like, that's all you need to know. I think maybe kind of a mistake you could say that people make is going into a bar and saying dos cervezas or tres cervezas and saying the word beer. Right. And it is beer, but we're really ordering it by the measure, by the size, right? And exactly. the typical size in, in Spain is a caña, which is the smallest size. Or you might order a doble, which mm -hmm. is uh, like two cañas, like as big as about... 350 mils, uh, something like that. Anyway, it's like the a bigger size. Yeah, and the interesting thing is if you do say una cerveza, what you're probably going to get is a bottle of beer. So normally if you say una cerveza, you're going to get what's called in Madrid a tercio, um, which is just like our bottle of beer. And um, But caña is, again, it's pretty much like a national pastime. I'm going out for cañas is what people do. Like, ir de cañas. Yeah, ir de cañas. A lot of people will say that they have hobbies in Spain and like your hobby can be music or sports or whatever, but that's usually a lie. Like most people's hobbies is going out for drinks uh, with their friends. And we just had some absolutely amazing cheese. And wine. Now we're having a caña. What I wanted to talk about, Margit, obviously with your tour, you take people eating, enjoying tapas. Right. But I remember when I first came to Spain, my sort of induction to tapas was pretty terrifying, actually. It can be quite an intimidating experience just to walk into a Spanish bar. The bar is packed with people. It's quite a noisy environment. Everybody is shouting their orders. Um, and maybe if you haven't got a solid grasp of the language or you don't know the food vocabulary or you don't really know how it works, yeah, it can be a bit daunting. It can be, and that's totally true. I mean, I remember, you know, my first Spain contact was when I studied abroad in college. And I remember, like, probably the first couple of months, I was terrified, like, to go anywhere. Because I was like, these people are cooler than me. I don't know what to get. You know, I was also 20. And, like, in the U.S., you're not supposed to drink till you're 21. And I was, like, a very good kid. So I, like, literally had never had a drink before so I was like I don't know what do people drink here um, but you know it's you got to learn some tricks and tapas can seem overwhelming but my recommendation to people and what I tell folks on my tours and what we do on my tours is just like get in there like be fearless don't worry about it the worst thing that can happen is you make a mistake and someone's going to tell you oh that table's already reserved or oh that's not on the menu or oh 
and correct you, but like folks will folks in Spain love their food and love their bars and want you to have the best experience. And so they are very, very helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't be intimidated. Don't be scared. 99% of the places are going to walk in. And even if there's a bit of a language barrier, there's a way to work through it and people will welcome you. And so, yeah. And it's totally normal in Spain, you know, entree envy. Like if you see, if you walk into a bar, a bar should smell like delicious food. Um, and so look around, see what people are having. When the waiter comes up, be like, we're going to have that. Or like, what is that? Um, and that's really important. And then just in terms of like really basic kind of what are tapas? How do you get them? When do you get them? Yeah. Here's the whole story very quickly. Um, tapas mean two things. There's the little tapa, uh, which is basically the, the little free nibble that comes with your drink. In most bars in most parts of Spain, it is not traditional in Catalonia, mm-hmm. but in most of the rest of Spain, you order a drink and the little tapa that we got here. Um, are a beautiful plate of Campo Real olives. These are wonderful olives that are um, produced here in the area around Madrid. And that's super typical. You get your olives, you get your drink. That is the tapa, your little nibble. And then Sometimes known as an aperitivo, maybe, uh-huh, that comes with a drink. for a little drink. And this is just sort of the, like, the little something that people give you. There's lots of theories about where this comes from. Um, is it tapa means the top. So some people say... You know, many years ago, you put a little something to protect the drink um, from dust. Some people say that there was a king involved. Nor my personal opinion in Spain is if a story begins with King X or King Carlos, because that's you know, Carlos or Felipe or Alfonso did this, it's probably not true. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of different origins of the story. But basically, the idea is drinks come with food in Spain. Uh, sometimes you order it and sometimes you don't. So you get your little nibble. And again, this is if people want to give it to you. So it is not it is not obligatory. It is sort of if the people, that's what they do in the bar, if they have time. It, don't expect it, but it's always something special when it comes. Yeah. And then tapas, going out for tapas, the verb is tapear. Um, tapeo, you're going out, you're eating food. And the idea is that this is an experience. It's very experiential eating. And what you're doing is you're sharing food. Um, you're with your friends, you're drinking. Um, you know, UNESCO World Heritage just categorized tapas as kind of non-architectural uh, cultural heritage. And so you use this patrimonio cultural, the patrimonio immaterial, this idea that tapas as a cultural icon are something that is protected by the World Heritage uh, status. And so that's, they have all of these different ways that they're like codifying tapas. But the idea is you're out and about, you're moving from bar to bar, you're standing or you're sitting, but you're sharing food. And the format can be small plates, like what we would expect tapas in other countries. You know, when you go out into a Spanish restaurant or even now tapas have become popular in all different formats. Or here in Spain, what are called raciones. Uh, and raciones... R-A-C-I-O-N-E-S are big or small or medium sharing plates where you'll get a pile of perfectly fried calamari. Or um, here in, I'll just give you some ideas from this menu at this great bar that we're sitting at. Yes, let's have a look at the menu. What have we got? um, So you can have pulpo, and pulpo is octopus. So that's going to be basically a plate of uh, the steamed octopus or boiled octopus cut into pieces on top of potatoes. Boquerones fritos. Those are going to be breaded and fried little anchovies. Delicious. Um, Again, rabas de calamar. My always favorite uh, is to be fried calamari. Uh-huh. Um, ensaladilla, a beautiful potato salad. Um, sardinas en vinagre. So you're going to have a pickled 
ein vinegar piece of sardine. The classic patatas bravas, which uh, you're going to find pretty much everywhere, which is quite a recent invention. A friend of mine told me that was actually patatas bravas was invented by a, a bar in Madrid in the 1960s, mm-hmm. and it was and it was kind of backed by Franco as a way of promoting potatoes because there was a, a bread shortage. Oh. So there were a couple of bars in Madrid who well, there was one bar who invented this this this, this dish, which uh-huh. has become a, a, a widespread ración that you would order in a bar called patatas bravas, which is like spicy potatoes. It's uh, fried potato chunks with a, like a spicy tomato kind of sauce. But yeah, quite a recent phenomenon. And the thing though that's really a good patatas bravas versus a kind of crappy patata brava is if the bar makes the sauce. And so, like, these guys make the sauce, and it's going to be this, you know, kind of emulsion with sometimes tomato, sometimes not, but lots of the Spanish smoked paprika, pimenton, vinegar, garlic, olive oil, and theirs are excellent chunks of potatoes on top. Um, they have the little croquetas, uh, which are kind of the love language of Spain, is croquetas. You've got these, like, bechamel sauce, which just little chunks of ham or whatever people got in there. Uh <laughs> breaded and fried and again they are definitely like if someone loves you in Spain there will be croquetas involved and one of the things that I really wanted to point out on this menu that's great um, so Madrid is the capital of Spain it's been the capital since the middle of the 16th century but you know they've really suffered from kind of endemic food shortages and so Madrid cuisine is really marked by the cuisine of poverty and so you have this tradition of eating everything from the animal. And so one of the things that's on here, which is a super traditional Madrid dish, is oreja a la plancha, which means grilled, um, it's grilled pig's ear. Pig's ear, yeah. pig's ear, folks. Yeah, I mean, I think for, for a lot of people, certainly for, for a lot of Brits, the idea of eating a pig's ear like completely freaks them out. But one thing in Spain is like exactly like you said, people eat everything. People eat everything. And, and it's really very much part of the culture. I mean, it's one of my boyfriend's favorite tapas. If there's oreja, um, he'll go. Like he and his friends have like, there's, they have like an oreja bar where they'll go. Um, and that's like their special treat. And um, it's really good. I mean, it's kind of a weird texture in your mouth if you haven't had it before. It's a little little squishy. Um, but it's, it's crunchy on the outside, squishy on the inside. It's meaty. It's got a little, got a little brava sauce. But it's, you know, it's one of those things that it's really special. You know, to get to eat these local local treats that have this amazing history. Absolutely, and that take pride in serving a speciality that they that they, that they really take pride in producing. Uh, certain bars might have a specific speciality like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm on the fence with the pig's ear. To be honest, uh, I kind of like it. The cartilage, the crunchy bit, kind of freaks me out a bit still. It's intense. It's totally intense. <laughs> There's all kinds of stuff. You know, like cayoche is another one of those like very traditional Madrid dishes. That's the tripe uh, stewed with different ingredients and you know if it's for me if it's in a small chunk i'll eat it um i mean that's the other thing it's like the truth is you know i grew up in the united states where our food is so separated from what it originally is and i remember when i first came to spain and saw whole rabbits in the butcher shop and sides of meat it really freaked me out but like the truth is is that i eat meat and like meat comes from an animal Uh and so you got to see the animal and spaniards are generally very unsqueamish because they like grew up you know a lot of people grew up with going to their family's villages in the summer where things are a lot a lot more out in the open but like the butcher shops the supermarkets a lot of supermarkets have still working even the big modern supermarkets have working butcher shops where there's people kind of breaking down the meat and so folks know where the meat comes from i mean even if you get ground meat in most places in spain you can still go up to the butcher say i want this piece ground 
medium fine because I'm making meatballs and they'll do it for you. It comes from an animal. Yeah. And so you got to eat it all. It comes from a life and you've got to eat it all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Any do's and don'ts when ordering tapas? Is there anything that, that people should watch out for? Any kind of things they should avoid? Um, because the whole, like you, like you just said, the, the idea of going for tapas is, is like, um, when I think of the UK and Spanish tapas bars back home, people kind of treat tapas a bit like a big sit-down meal so like there'll be you know a couple for example they sit down and they'll order like I know six or seven plates of tapas and and treat it as if it were like a big sit-down meal where in Spain it's not so much like that really it's more casual you might go for tapas sort of as a little pre-dinner in the afternoon with friends it's more sociable like you talked about ordering raciones of of tapas which is shared between a group of people and also you might sort of like order tapas in one bar and then go to the next bar and order a different tapas this idea of bar hopping and having a little tapas a ration in each place um, going to some of your favourite places and doing it like that rather than kind of sitting down for two hours ordering a huge range of tapas from a menu and just staying in one place tapas can do whatever you want you know I think everyone gets real nervous about fitting in and like you're obviously when you come to Spain you're not a Spaniard so don't worry about it but uh, one of the things that does make it to have a more experience like a local um, I would definitely always tell people start small. You know, you don't know how much food is going to come out because there's kind of no standard size. So order one thing, order a couple things, look at what other people are eating, like really pay attention to your surrounding. And, you know, the thing in Spain is that there's this idea of la vida callejera, like life on the street. And the street in Spain is bars and restaurants. And so like people's social lives are in bars and restaurants. And so you want, you want that experience. And so the more places you go to, the more of that you experience and food Food in Spain is just as much about the social element of eating together and the experience of sitting there and eating and the sobremesa, the, the after the meal. The sobremesa, yeah, the very long and drawn out post-meal conversation which can go on for a couple of hours. Yeah. You might have a few more drinks yeah. and a few shots of whatever. whatever yeah. yeah, so this idea that food is socializing. So the more different places you go to and the more rounds of it you get, the more socializing you get into it. And I think that that's really fun to have that experience where you go and you have a little here, a little there. It also means like you can try more things, which is really fun. Um, another thing to be aware of, especially if you're traveling as a couple or by yourself, um, ración is the, the, the sharing plate. And in most places you can order a half, which is called a media. So always if you're with just a few people, um, if you order halves, then you can try more stuff, which is always what I want to do is try more things. And so I would say the most important do are start small and see what happens um and and try new things you know like I am a recovering picky eater so I'm like (laughs) I like very much preach the no picky gospel um maybe you'll like it maybe you won't but you'll never know unless you taste it and so try stuff and you know don't be afraid and go into places that look too crowded for more people to go and like jostle at the bar and and remember I think that you know, people know that you're visiting and they want to share that experience with you, but they're also just living their lives. And so I think that that's part of it is that, you know, travel has become such an all pervasive part of people's lives and of cities. And there's that delicate balance of kind of 
being a gracious guest and being a gracious host. And people in Spain want to be a gracious host. So like, let them, you know, like people want to ask questions. They want to answer questions. They want to know where you're from. Uh, if they're eating something that looks really delicious, they'll be like, what's that? And most people will be like very excited to tell you. So, you know, don't be afraid and get in there and, and try new things and, and start small and build from there are my main tapas. I think that's great advice. Yeah, just don't be afraid. Get in there and experiment. Yeah. Try new things. Try things. I mean, if you're coming to Spain, you know, you're going to find things that you're not going to find in other parts of the world uh, easily or very readily. A lot of people, when they think of like the traditional tapas bars, a lot of people go on and on about, well, it's got to have like the, the, the serviettes thrown on the floor and the olive stones on the floor and all this kind of thing. Um, that is a kind of hallmark of a very traditional, like you said earlier, old man's bar, yeah. like de toda la vida in the neighborhood but it's there's there are tapas beyond that kind of scene as well there's you know there's kind of there's tapas for everyone and since tapas are so much a format rather than a hard and fast rule like yeah you can totally go to those old man bars um i personally my feeling my personal feeling on the throwing of napkins on the floor is don't do it um it's it's i like to tell people like it's truly being grandfathered in you know like unless you are an actual grandfather and you have been grandfathered into the tradition i would definitely set stuff on the bar um you don't want to make more work for people um if it looks like everyone's doing it, do it. But if you see, like here in the bar where we're at, there's like little containers. There are little trash cans on the bar so you can throw your napkins. There's a little plate for stones from the olives. Yeah. I personally wouldn't do it um, because you just, it's so hard when you're in a new context to know what's culturally appropriate for you as a visitor versus what's culturally appropriate for the person. And so I, my feeling always is to kind of err on the side of caution. You know, the same thing with tipping. Like, people always say, like, in Europe, we don't tip. That's not true. You know, like, if you're in a bar, you know, if you just... It's not like in the U.S. where things are so crazy with tipping. But, like, you know, like, we're going to get these two drinks. These are probably, you know, 150 each, so it'll be three euros for the two. I would totally leave 20 cents to 50 cents. And then if I do a sit-down meal, I would definitely do 10 cents and a taxi roundup. Because that's the thing. It's like everyone appreciates it and kind of just follow kind of regular civic rules. And always, in my opinion, but that's my like travel advice always, is just err on the side of polite, you know? Err on the side of politeness and do what you think feels right mm. in the situation. Mm-hmm. Margaret, before we go... Yeah? Okay. Top five tapas that you would recommend that people should try, whether it be seafood, whether it be meat, croquetas, which I love, which yes. are a classic. What do you think? What would you recommend? Okay, so this is what I, this is like the question. Like, what are your go-to things? Mine are very seafoody. Um, okay, number one, I love calamari. So I almost always order calamari. If calamari is on the menu, I am getting it. Um, something else that I absolutely love and it's on the menu, I will definitely order. Um, chipidones. Chipidones are baby cuttlefish. So it's in the squid family, but they're a little smaller, a little sweeter. Grilled is my favorite. Little um, garlic and parsley olive oil on there. If you see chipidones a la plancha, that's the grilled chipidones, I would always order them. Um, depending on seasonally, if you ever see anything with alcachofas, artichokes, Artichokes with ham, uh, grilled artichokes, anything. I always order artichokes. Croquetas are very good and, again, are very important for Spanish people, but they're very hit and miss. Totally agree. You can can get some bad croquetas, which are a bit dry and chewy, and the difference between a great one and a bad one is huge. And you can't see it from the outside. So croquetas are hit and miss. Um, I love pimientos de padrón, the uh, little green frying peppers that come from Galicia in the north of Spain that are served, you know, just... Flash fried little um, salt. I love those. 
tortilla de patata. You can't go wrong. The Spanish potato omelet. Uh, that's that's like my favorite thing, and you can eat it breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, I love bocadones and vinagre. Um, bocadones again from a recovering picky eater. Those are. <laughs> white wine vinegar pickled anchovy fillets. Pretty strong flavor as well. No, 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 no. Don't say that. I don't want to stress people out. It's a medium flavor. A medium flavor. It's a medium flavor. They're very good. and it's. But a little bit strong from a recovering picky eater. Though. No, no. I think they're really delicious and it's one of those, like, if you like anything fish, if you like seafood, do it. They are not like the anchovies that you get on, like, a crappy pizza. I would like to call them the olives of the sea. Um, they're very good. That's definitely something that I would always choose. I also love ensaladilla. Um, ensaladilla is that really wonderful potato salad. Um, sometimes has tuna. Sometimes has little... It's really fresh. You know, this time of year, I want to eat. Um, I want to eat ensaladilla. And then the other thing, again, this is not what people expect for tapas, but if I see it on a menu, I always order it, is salmorejo. That salmorejo is... Um, like gazpacho, the cold tomato soup, it's cold, um, but it's much thicker. It's basically emulsifying tomatoes um, with olive oil and a little garlic and a little sherry vinegar. And if I see it on a menu, even if there's three of us, like in Spain, there's no germs. Like everyone in Spain shares forks. Everyone just shares spoons, forks, everything. So true, salmorejo, like traditionally from from from, from Cordoba in Andalusia. But in the summer months, quite seasonal. You're not going to be able to really find it in the winter. But when the weather starts hotting up. and on the menu, get it. For sure. 100%. Comes with... You took the words right out of my mouth with salmorejo. I, I love it so much that I make it at home now all the time um, with a little bit of hard-boiled egg crumbled on the top and some jamón. Amazing, tasty, simple, and really refreshing and delicious. I wanna, uh, you've mentioned jamón, and I want to tell you something quickly yes. about that. I love the Spanish cured ham. And I would love for, you know, anybody who's listening, come do a tour with me, yeah. and we will have... I mean, that's... That's like an episode in itself, it is isn't it? Come on. We're gonna, we'll do that. We'll do that in a couple of weeks. Okay, Let's okay. Deal. Listen. We're going to do ham. We're going to like get into it. Um, but you have to be really careful ordering ham. Ham is the, like, the jewel and the crown of the Spanish gourmet products. I personally would be very careful about ordering a ración, a plate of ham, in a bar because you just don't know the quality. And it can be very expensive and you don't know what you're getting. I always tell folks, go to a market and watch the guy cut the ham. If you don't have that much time, get the ham because it's all ham is always delicious. Um, but be careful about ordering the ham because you want to get the good stuff. And um, when we do our ham episode, we'll talk more about that. I'll hold you to that. We will do that. So I be careful. Unless it's a bar that specializes in ham, you see a leg hanging so you know that they're cutting it. Um, I would be careful. Um, another thing that's always fun, I'm a huge cheese lover, as you know, a tabla de queso. Uh, is always a fun idea like because that's just like a giant plate of cheese tablas are another thing part of um, tapas especially here in madrid you get a tabla of embutido that'll be like a, a share like a board a meat a cured meat board yeah. that'll be different things if you're feeling meaty that's always a fun thing um, yeah so tabla de quesos and then another thing um for if you're looking for vegetables this is another thing right? so we can do a whole other we can do we can do when it comes to foods yeah, there's there's, there's no end yeah <laughs> but people folks are always like where's the vegetables where's the salad and one of the things that's really hard is that um, for Spanish people, going out is a special treat. It's a special occasion. And so that's when you're going to have the fun kind of like splurge proteins. And so Spaniards would not go out and eat a salad. People eat salads at home. Um, so there are salads. My favorite Spanish salad is ensalada mixta. It's like the basic, oh, I love an ensalada mixta. So good. Cold, refreshing lettuce, yeah. tomato, full hard-cooked egg, maybe some tuna. Tuna's a vegetable in Spain. Soon as a vegetable, yeah. <laughs> um, but one of the great options if you are looking for vegetables is a parrillada de verduras. 
uh, is a roasted vegetable plate, and that's always a good if you do if you especially if you've been traveling for a while and you don't have access to a kitchen and you are like needing some veg. Uh, a parrilla de verduras, the grilled vegetable plate, is always a great idea. Okay, so Margaret, how can people book onto one of your tours? Um, people can book by going to my website, which is www.walkandeatspain.com. And I have two tours offered. I have a morning neighborhood and market tour. We start with a traditional Spanish breakfast. You learn how to order coffee in Spanish, which is very important for us who need Super coffee. important. Yeah, to, to function both in life and while on vacation. Um, and then we explore the neighborhood. We go to small shops. You meet some of the people who are involved in all of this incredible food that's served and sold here in um, the neighborhood in Madrid. And then we go into a traditional Madrid market and kind of order everything from ham to olives and meet, again, these great people. My guy, um, Jose Ignacio, who cuts the ham and will give you all of the different tastings so you see the full range of ham. Um, and then finish with a caña, as we talked about, a small beer and a really traditional uh, Spanish treat, which I don't want to tell you about because i got to keep some surprises for when you come visit. Um, and then I have uh, an evening tour, which is an evening tapas and wine tour, and that's basically kind of my dream night out in the neighborhood. I crafted the tour based on my favorite places that I love going and um, so that people can meet really amazing bar owners and bartenders who will have kind of personalized pairings where we're showing the best of classic and modern tapas. So you'll get like the neighborhood bar that's been serving the little beers, the Kanya, since 1923, and then go to new places that have just opened and are really kind of on the cutting edge of what new Madrid tapas are. And then, of course, meet Marcelo, who we talk to a cheese and have one of his amazing cheese plates um, and finish with a really special dessert. Um, and it's a really, it's a great night out, and it's a really wonderful way to see sort of what life is like in Madrid and experience a real neighborhood. And, you know, so many things in Madrid are focused on the area around the Plaza Mayor and the Palacio Real, which is a beautiful, wonderful area. But to get that sense of what life in Madrid is like, it's great to be in a neighborhood. And this neighborhood, Malasaña, is just, you know, a 10, 15-minute walk um, from the historic center. But you get a feeling of being being around folks who live in an area and what it's like to be a madrileño or a madrileña, a person from here in Madrid. Castizo neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, totally. A real, a real authentic neighborhood. Yeah. Absolutely. God, making me hungry. Oh, uh, I know. I'm going to have to book onto one of your I know, I can't hardly wait whenever you want. So guys, come visit us in Madrid. All the food is right here waiting for you. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're waiting. Muchas gracias. Thanks, everyone. Margaret, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Paul. It was so great talking to you. So that's Margaret Sperling from Walk and Eat Spain, out and about in Malasagna with yours truly, uh, Talking Tapas. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you'd like to know more about the tours that Margaret runs, please check out the show notes of this episode. I'll put links to Margaret's webpage and Facebook page if you'd like more information about uh, the tours that she offers. So that brings to a close the birthday episode of When in Spain. As always, thank you so much for listening and supporting the show. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support by becoming a patron, you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash when in Spain. 
as well as the podcast when in spain has a presence on all the usual social media hangouts uh, we've got a very friendly and active uh, when in spain facebook group uh, so head over to facebook find the when in spain facebook page and you can join the group for free by clicking on the join group button uh, come and say hello to everyone it's your place for sharing uh, questions content any thoughts you have about spain whether you're already here or you're thinking of coming to live or visit spain the facebook group is the place where you can do all those things uh, if you like photography i share my photos from around spain and many photos which correspond to the podcast episodes on the when in spain uh, instagram account which is when in spain one when in spain is also on twitter uh, when in spain one as well if you'd like to tweet me and if you'd like to get in touch directly you can email me uh, with any questions or feedback or any suggestions you have about the podcast show and you can do that by sending an email to when in spain one at outlook.com that's when in spain number one at outlook.com coming up in the next episode we're staying with the food and drink uh, theme actually and uh, i'll be bringing you an episode all about spanish wine yes uh, i finally uh, pinned down luke daracott uh, if any of you are familiar with his uh, wine podcast called the spanish wine experience with his friend roque madrid while i head along to their recently opened uh, wine store uh, in the center of madrid and we spend a nice hour talking all about spanish wine uh, luke and roque are absolute experts in spanish wine so we talk about the history of wine we talk about all of the different uh, dios the denominaciones de origen uh, the different styles of spanish wine how spanish wine has changed and evolved over the last 10 or 20 years and how it's really making its mark in the uh, serious wine world now up there with the big guys uh, giving france and italy and the new world wines uh, a run for their money so if you like wine join us for the next episode of when in spain that will be a spanish wine 101 but until then have a fantastic week happy birthday to us and until the next time adios <laughs>